I invite you now to please take God's word and turn with me to our scripture reading this morning, which is found in the book of Romans, where I'll be reading Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Once again, Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all that justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I should probably apologize in advance uh, because I'm about to make you angry. Uh, <laughs> I, hope, I hope you guys brought Tums. Um, I have this sneaky suspicion I can make you angry with just one picture. One picture I can make most of you in this room angry. Are you ready for it? Let's see it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Does anybody remember this moment in history? I, it's probably hard to forget, right? You guys remember this guy that's uh, Moises Alou? You remember this is 2003? Does anybody remember the, the name of that poor guy? <laughs> Bartman. What a, it's, it's, yeah, Steve Bartman was his na- is his name. He's still alive. <laughs> I mean, Amazingly, he probably wishes he wasn't some days, but Steve Bartman is his name. Uh, Just in case you need a refresher, uh, here's a close-up of the poor guy after he realizes what just happened, and he had no idea. And it was, anyway, we'll get to that. But um, this poor guy uh, was, it was in the divisional series and a really important game, right, for the Chicago Cubs. He's sitting over uh, past the third baseline over and uh, foul ball goes up and up and everybody's looking up and they don't realize where they are. They don't realize that Alou is coming in to make a, a play and he just, like any of us would probably do, go, oh, there it is. And his, his hands there hit the glove of Alou. He can't catch the ball and an entire city loses its ever-loving, absolute mind. Um, it was so bad that this guy had all kinds of things thrown at him, and the security realized, we've got to get this guy out of here. You probably remember this, right? They had to get an escort. They, I mean, and people are giving him heck. And um, he basically, they put him in a, a, a jail cell under Wrigley Field to hold him until everybody left so they could get the guy out safely. And he had to go into hiding. There was talk that he had moved, and he, he never did. He actually... Uh, bravely stayed in Chicago and endured 
all of it, you know, and he was one of the biggest uh, Cubs fans in the world, and he was just heartbroken, probably remember his apology, and all of that stuff, and um, this guy became the scapegoat for a whole series, and uh, just people blamed him for for decades, and you remember in 2016, when the Cubs did finally win the World Series, they actually got a ring for Steve Bartman, so he he didn't go out into public to receive it, because he was just afraid of all the lashing out still, this poor guy has had quite the life. But the Cubs said, hey, we just want to make amends and just let bygones be bygones. Here's your World Series ring. So Steve Bartman has a Cubs ring. So I hope I didn't make you too angry uh, with this. Uh, if, if we had talked about the Rangers, there's some moments that could do the same thing for me. Um, we don't talk about them still in our house. So, um, But we all have our, our issues. We all have our hot, you know, hot buttons that that can just fly all over us and make us angry in just a moment. And, 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 I, and I would just say, you know, the, the anger at Steve Bartman was, was really unfair, right? Because he didn't make the throwing errors and the drop fielding error. I, he, there was a lot of things he did not do that the Cubs did on their own. But right, there are legitimate things that make us angry. And so this morning, we're going to see God get angry. Um. And, and, and this probably goes without saying, but God's anger is not about foul balls or, or trivial things like that. God has what we call righteous anger. And, and this morning, we are going through the book of Amos. Um, and, and, and it's a book that, that many would say is, is, is one of God's angriest, uh, for sure. So, so what makes God angry? And, and then how does God deal with his anger. That's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. How, how does God deal with his anger? What makes God angry? So let's pray together as, as we begin our time. Father, would you teach us truth from your word? Let it not be man's wisdom this morning, but yours. I use this time in Christ's name. Amen. So we have begun a, a series uh, on the minor prophets of the Old Testament. We're going to look at all 12 of the Old Testament minor prophets this summer. Um, and, and, and I have been kind of saying, look, the, these 12 books are in the Bible. God wants us to know them. There's, there's a reason they're in the Bible. And so we should be learning from them. And, and that can be a little bit trickier than, than, than some of the more obvious books. But um, th- these books definitely tell us about the nature of God. They tell us about his plan for humanity and ultimately his plan for redemption. And, and I, I knew this would be a challenging series for me to, to figure out how to preach it and for you to hear it because they can be difficult to work through. Um, they, they're written a long time ago, a really long time ago, and they were written about different cultures. They were written, uh, written about some nations and some religions that, that just don't exist anymore. Um, and our book for this morning is, is no different. Um, Amos is a difficult book because it has such a tone of judgment and, and indictments on, well, everybody, basically, just so many people. We think that Amos was written around uh, 760 B.C. This is one of the, the kind of early minor prophets. He was written, um, writing to the northern kingdom of Assyria. And so... Um, if you got one of these last week, 
I, I would just say hold on to it because all the different prophets are on it. The timeline's there. We'll, we'll try to have it up there just to give you a little bit of visual context. Um, Amos, you can kind of see, he's at the very, very beginning of that group. Um, uh, and he is, uh, he is talking to the northern kingdom. I, I think maybe there's the map. I don't know if you remember the map. There was, there was Israel, and then they split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, the blue one is Israel. The yellow one is the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel's always bad. Judah's most of the time bad. So, um, but he is talking to the blue country uh, in, in the whole book. And, and so we'll, we'll kind of see that as, as he goes. But re- remember, they were always in disobedience. Uh, they tolerated other gods. They put up new places of worship that they weren't supposed to. They refused to come to the temple in Jerusalem, which is where they were supposed to worship. So this is written pre-exile. Remember that time frame that we've talked about, pre-exile, before they were defeated. Uh, and, and Israel was defeated in 722 B.C. So we think this is 760-ish. Um, and, and the Assyrians are, are, the, are the bad guys that are coming to get them. Amos is, is really an interesting character. He was different from, from most of the other prophets in that this was not his full-time gig. Like, his resume didn't say, oh, you know, prophet, prophet to the nations. We, we find out in the beginning of the book that he is actually from the southern tribe. He's from Judah, which, which, of course, doesn't help him being received by Israel, right? They're, you're from Judah. You know, they don't like him to begin with. So, but he tells us that he's a shepherd by trade uh, and, and a, a grower of sycamore figs. And most scholars think that, that he was probably more of, of a breeder of sheep. He was, a, he was a guy that had kind of a bigger production going on than, than you know, a person out in the hills and, at night watching over flocks, right? He was probably more of like a, 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 a yeah, a, a big deal, and to, and to have a, a sycamore fig orchard probably meant he was a, a fairly well-off landowner. So he was a successful guy. We would say he's probably upper, upper class, upper middle class um, doing that job, but somehow God calls Amos to leave Judah and go to his cousins up in the north and tell them what they were doing wrong. You know, not a, not a job any of us would sign up for. And, and he faced tons of hardships. This was, this was a difficult task for him. And, and Israel's leaders, their religious leaders up in the north, yelled at him over and over, hey, go mind your own business. Get out of here. Why don't you go back to where you're from? Leave us alone. Mind, you know, all that stuff. And last week we said that the prophets normally had three messages. And the first is, hey, you broke your part of the covenant with God that you were supposed to keep. And then the second would be, God is angry and is going to judge you. And then the third is, God is going to restore you. There's, a, there's some hope here. Amos spends a ton of time on the first two, and only five verses on the last part, that, that, that hope thing. So his big idea is that judgment is coming. I mean, if you want to know what Amos is about, it's that judgment is coming. God has had enough of Israel. He's had enough of their sins. And he's going to destroy them. But then he's going to, he promises that he's going to allow a remnant to survive and that they would be restored. And so let me just kind of give you a quick overview. uh, And then we're going to kind of focus on what I would call the big idea of Amos. So we've got nine chapters. um, And we're going to just do that as quickly as we can. So Amos begins his book by, by just telling the people that the Lord 
is a lion waiting to pounce. And we'll see this in the, in the prophets a lot, this kind of visualization of God as a lion ready to pounce. And it says that he is roaring to show his power and coming judgment. He's not even hiding. He's telling you it's coming with his roar. And Amos starts his message by con- condemning six neighboring nations that are doomed. And, and you can almost imagine him going to Assyria and standing among the, the king and the people of Assyria uh, uh, of Israel and saying, hey, let me tell you about the judgment that's coming on these six nations. And they're like, yeah, this is a great message so far. Yeah, go get those guys, right? Just make, make sure judgment comes extra hard on them, right? These foreign nations. But by the end of the first chapter, Amos quickly changes and he tells Israel and Judah that they will be treated and judged fairly, equally, just like these other six nations. He says, look, I'm going to judge you just the same because your sins are the same. Your sins are equal to these foreign nations who don't even know me. And so why should you not be judged in the same way? He says in verse 6 of chapter 2, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And listen to what he says. Because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They sell the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same woman so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in, their house, in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So big idea is they were not treating the Lord as holy. They were not treating the Lord as holy, and they were mistreating the poor. They were mistreating the poor. In in modern terms, we would say there is some human trafficking going on in in Israel at this time. Uh, The indictments are going to continue. He's just going to go on and on and on. Uh, Seemingly endlessly, if you've ever read the book of Amos, they just go on and on. And the promises of punishment are just going to continue. And, and, and so I want you to just kind of, I want you be, to be able at the end of this, remember some things about each of the books. So I, a few noteworthy things uh, that, that I think are, are, are worthwhile. Maybe they're just kind of side notes, but, but I think worthwhile. Um, God uses humor and sarcasm and irony and, and all of the kind of, you know, metaphorical language you can think of as he talks to Israel. He, he wants to be very clear about who they are what they have done, and then what is coming. Uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Thus says the Lord, and you can see the, kind of the, the justice and the humor at the same time in something like this. As the, as the shepherd rec- rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. Get, get a mental image of that picture, right? The most notable line is in chapter 4, um, and, and hopefully you can deal with the humor. It's not mine, it's, it's his. So uh, the beginning of chapter 4 says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, and who say to your husbands, bring us a drink. So he's talking to women as the cows of Bashan, okay? Um, and it says, the, the Lord has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish, fish hooks. 
And so this doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, but let me just give you a little bit of help. I'll, I'll just tell you that the hills of Bashan were like uh, the, the richest places for grazing in the whole land. So um, he is, he's calling the women well-fed cows, okay? That's what the Lord is doing to these women. And, you know, the imagery of them is laying on a couch doing absolutely nothing and saying, hey, husband, get me another drink. That's, that's the imagery that God is, is giving out here. Living in plenty and excess off the backs of their mistreated servants. And we do know that the prophecy of this being carried away by hooks actually does take place when, uh, because when the Assyrians take them away, it, it, we know that they chained them through their lips and their, uh, their ears so that they wouldn't run off. They were chained in big lines, just dragged away uh, with hooks. It's happened. So you, I can guess what you're thinking, right? We got nine chapters of this. Yes, you do have nine chapters of this. It's, and this is why, you know, just as an aside, this is why we avoid books like Amos, because they're really hard to just sit and read. And, and, and here's what we need to say, um, and something that is really hard for us to talk about, and that is, you know, especially in today's society, there is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing as doing the wrong thing. People are bad, and people do bad things. God takes sin very seriously. He will judge people, all people, according to his law. Chapter 7 tells us about God coming and bringing a plumb line. And if you guys are into you know, construction at all, you know what a plumb line is. And he would bring it. It was it's a, you know, just a weight on a string, and you know what straight is by just letting that string hang. And it says that, that he will bring his plumb line to the wall of Israel, meaning he will measure it. And anything that is crooked according to his plumb line will be torn down. If you think that God doesn't care about sin anymore, you were mistaken. And, and we've, we've talked about anger and, 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 and I promised that we would see what makes God angry. And so I want to kind of focus in on, on what I would say. When you think about Amos, this is the passage I really... Uh, you'll always remember the cows of Bashan, by the way. You're welcome. But I want you to think about this passage here in chapter 5. So turn to, turn to chapter 5 of Amos if you've got your Bibles. Um, we're going to look at verses 11 through 24. And we're going to see what, what angers God the most... Out of all the things that makes him angry, this is kind of the focus point. Verse 11, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You afflict the righteous who take a bribe. And turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time. For it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good. And establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord... In all the squares there shall be wailing, and, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning, and those 
or sorry, into wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Meaning, if you say you want justice, be, be careful what you ask for, because it's coming. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Which, by the way, here's a little more kind of sarcastic humor. You can run away from the lion into the arms of a bear. Or who went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him, thinking he ran into your house for safety. And there's a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? And gloom with no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feasts. That's as emphatic as he can say it. I hate your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the heart of God talking to his people. This is the stuff that makes him the most angry. God is telling Israel, I am so tired of your worship while you treat me and others with injustice. Don't come in here and sing songs of praise while you treat other people like garbage. While you sell them into slavery. Don't come in here and praise me with those lips. I don't want to hear it. God demands justice. God will have justice. If you treat your neighbor poorly, your your songs, your prayers are worthless. If you are mistreating the poor, you need to know that God is angry. God cares how we treat other people. He always had and he always will. That is a message of who he is. Remember what Jesus said was the distinguishing mark of his people. If you have love for one another, if you love other people, that's how people could know that you're my disciple. If you love other people. We studied James this fall, if you remember that book. And and there are some passages that sound very similar to this passage in Amos about not paying fair wages to your workers and stealing from the poor, taking them to court and taking everything that they own. Not helping your brother who is hungry but saying, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. I hope all goes well. Be fed. And not feeding him. That's That's not what God wants. God's people should be helping others and taking care of the most vulnerable in our society. God is using a a beautiful image in verse 24, and and we sang about it a little bit ago. Justice should roll down. It should flow all the time, right? Something that rolls is plentiful. There's not just a trickle, right? A stream doesn't doesn't roll down if it's just barely there. The, the, The imagery for Israel was supposed to be this desert landscape that that you guys aren't familiar with, but us in Texas are, right? This, this desert landscape where there's no water and there's this justice flowing down like a river in the middle of a desert. All the time, this ever-flowing stream, not just once in a while, 
but an ever-flowing stream. That's the imagery that Amos is giving us here. And that's the call for you and me as we live in a dark world. How are you caring for the least of these? And, and you might say, I'm not doing anything to mistreat the poor. Okay. And my response would be, okay, but what are you doing to ensure the proper treatment of, of the poor are all around you? Maybe you're not doing something specifically, but are you being a part of the solution? Or are you just sitting idly by saying, hey, give me another drink, laying on my couch? What are you doing to be a part of bringing justice? And by this point, I hope you're ready for the next section, going, is it ever going to come? And the readers of Amos were thinking the same thing. Is it ever going to come? God demands justice. But how can there ever be justice? How can we bring forth justice when you and I and everyone around us is full of sin and idolatry? We're, we're full of the opposite, right? We're full of injustice. How can we let justice flow down as sinners? Judgment is inevitable on all of this. The, the great scholar James Boyce once said that if judgment is inevitable, if judgment is coming, he says this, the only logical thing is to flee to the place where it has already been poured out, and that is the cross of Calvary. Where has God's justice already been poured out? At the cross of Calvary. That's where his justice has been poured out. Only there may a guilty sinner find shelter. Uh, remember we just read a minute ago Romans 3, and, and God's justice was satisfied. He demands justice, and it says that he was, it was satisfied by the payment of Jesus and his sacrifice. The lion that we see in Amos roared, and the lamb took away the sins of the world. You and I were like Israel and all these other nations of Amos, doomed. But in that, the, those last five verses of, of Amos 9, there's this promise that, that God will eventually collect his people from among the nations. All the nations is the promise. And in, in Acts chapter 15, the apostles recognize that, that Amos 9 has happened because of Jesus. There's this, there's this recognition of the, of the disciples, of the apostles, that there is now freedom, that the justice has come, and that God is now collecting his people from the nations. Justice can truly roll down now because of the Messiah. On behalf of you and me, justice God brought justice to our immeasurable debt. He brought immeasurable grace. And because believers have been freed, God sees justice when he sees us. You and I are called to be ambassadors of Christ's justice here on earth because it's been applied to us as well. I'm going to steal a quote uh, that Mike, our, our very own Mike, shared with me the other day. He said, the law convinces you to believe in sin. The law, we just see it here in Amos. The law convinces you to believe in sin. The gospel calls you to believe in forgiveness. Amos preached the law, and he hinted a little bit there at the gospel. And, and Jesus brought the gospel so that you and I can know forgiveness. And with forgiveness, we can be the people of God who share love and forgiveness and mercy with the world that desperately 
needs it so that justice can roll down. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you knew we could not be justified on our own. There would be no justice from us. There would be no righteousness. So you sent your son. And because of his sinless, perfect life, because he paid the price for us, there was justice at the cross of Calvary. God, let us see your heart for the nations. And you have told us that you will call people from all nations to you, your people. God, help us to be a part of bringing forth the justice of Jesus everywhere we go and everyone we talk to, that we would not just, not just stay in our, to ourselves and say we're not doing anything wrong, but look outside of ourselves and say we're helping to bring it where it should come, where justice should flow down. God, thank you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.